What's good, everybody? We are, uh, we're back. It's X. This is Reading Out Loud. Still Reading We Exist. This is the continuation of Chapter 3. Uh, I Feel Therefore I Am, or Sentio Ergo Sum. And we are at the section called Going Within. Alright. Let's begin. Mm. Going within. To be fair, in order to write this chapter and have it come off as authentic, I too had to go within and deal with my own roots. And while I've been developing this method for the last 20 years, at least since my initial onset of depression, it wouldn't be until 2015 that the final piece of my puzzle would arrive. To me, it's interesting how life unfolds. For the most part, it isn't until we are ready to use and appreciate these final puzzle pieces that they show up. Thus, it, would, it wouldn't be until I was ready to seek beyond the physical world for healing, be it via pills, doctors, therapists, money, objects, etc., that an opportunity to heal would be offered. More than anything, I'm extremely grateful for this piece. Without it, as said above, I wouldn't be writing this chapter. More so, I wouldn't have the clarity of thought that I have today. And to me, it's our thoughts that truly make us who we are. Therefore, the clearer our thoughts, the more in touch we are with our authentic selves. So, what exactly was this piece? Simply put, it was recognizing that memories have an impact on our well-being. You see, our memories aren't real. They are creations, saved and stored, either locally or in the cloud, designed to help us make decisions as we bump along in life. But they aren't real. And they aren't the whole event. For the most part, they are the stories we've created in our heads, colors, emotions, etc., from the actions that happened in the physical, black and white. However, in order to understand this better, perhaps an example is necessary, perhaps one from my own life. The girl. I remember the day perfectly. I was walking into the cafeteria to eat my lunch when my sister, a couple years my senior, spots me and tells me there's someone I need to meet. She then guides me to her table and introduces me to the girl. Personally speaking, it was quite serendipitous, as I had just gotten over my 8th grade crush and was ready to move on. And there she was, the girl, just sitting there, listening to the same style of music that I enjoyed. It was perfect, and so, and so was she, at least according to my 14-year-old self. Now, upon meeting her, I was immediately taken back, or taken aback. She was pretty, smart, witty, and enjoyed sports. To me, no other girl in school compared. Like I said, she was perfect. So much so that I even asked a good friend of mine who also liked her to step back, as I didn't want any competition. And while I'm still good friends with the guy, the same cannot be said for the girl. You see, while it was amazing to spend time with her at school, 
Little did I know that she would be the catalyst of a major event in my life. One that would take roughly 20 years to recover from and eventually deal with. Pretty good setup, right? And it only gets better. This, ladies and gentlemen, is the story of how I granted my 14-year-old self the power to dictate my beliefs on love, loss, and life itself. Not to mention my worth as a human being, all because I wasn't strong enough to deal with the pain when she left. The gravity of loss. Of course, this is entirely th this story is entirely one-sided, simply because it's from my POV. This will make sense as the rest of the story unfolds. Until then, okay, until then, let's say that for me, our relationship, though never boyfriend and girlfriend, was actually deeper than anything I could ever imagine. And don't get me wrong, while I wanted a relationship with the girl, I also knew where we stood romantically. And while it's easy to dismiss the musings of a 14-year-old boy, what I'm saying is that we shared something bigger than anything found on the physical plane. Something cosmic. Almost as if our atoms have been together in other lifetimes or other existences around the universe, multiverse, or any other part of creation. Of course, just because two people share a cosmic connection doesn't mean they must be together in every lifetime. It just means that they are connected. This, unfortunately, was a tough lesson for me to learn, as it took almost 20 years to recognize it, let alone deal with it. However, as my 14-year-old kid, oh, sorry, as a 14-year-old kid, I had no clue what was actually going on. All I knew was that after a few months of knowing this amazing girl, she was gone. And while her disappearance destroyed me, it wasn't the first time I had experienced the gravity of loss. You see, when I was nine, my parents moved me and my sister from northern BC to the west coast. And while I put on a strong face, I was completely devastated within. I didn't want to leave, but I also couldn't stay. So I was stuck. I had to move. It was out of my control. Worse, it felt like my voice didn't matter, which would only weaken my self-esteem, self-confidence, and self-worth. The event would also bring forth a major control freak, one that still exists today, however, is better trained. And lastly, by the time we were ready to leave, I'd already shifted into a more hardened Michael Stevens, one that never said goodbye to anyone. And so we left Fort St. John in pursuit of Maple Ridge, and I didn't say goodbye. Not to my friends, my neighbors, or to my nine-year-old self. The Aftermath One thing that is always constant is that life continues regardless of our mood. We can be joyous, sad, angry, disgusted, or living in fear, and the hands of time continue to tick. It just ticks and ticks and ticks. And because we, as a society, are often slow at adopting new concepts and techniques, we rarely allow ourselves 
to see how our past affect our present. And because of this, we don't quite understand the effects that these events have on our lives, especially the stories we create when traumatized. Often because we go through life unaware of what actually causes our triggers. And because of this, we don't realize that when these stories are left unattended, they become stagnant and toxic, first in our minds, then in our bodies. This then leads to numerous mental and emotional illnesses with depression and emotion, with depression and emotion being one of the front runners. Of course, depression is just a word, a term created by man, one used to describe our loss of joy and sadness, among other things, which often leaves us in a state of fear, anger, or apathy, only adding to the stagnation and toxicity our mind, of our minds and bodies. And because most of us have yet to break the conditioning of our formative years, we often cling to the belief that our reality is based on how well we can measure the five senses, usually meaning that anything landing outside those parameters simply cannot exist. Perhaps this is also why a leading theory on how to minimize bouts of depression require us to ingest man-made pills as they are sold with the promise of correcting our chemical imbalances. Unfortunately, depression is much more than a chemistry experiment. It has to do with how we think, feel, and how well, or sorry, how we deal with our issues and much more. And while the term may be invented by man, the pain and suffering we encounter from it, or any other quote-unquote mental illness, is very real and isn't something to joke about, unless it's part of therapy. For the most part, however, almost everyone on planet Earth suffers from depression, including me, um, or including me from age 14 to 35, the difference being the degree to which the emotion affects us. Now, let's get back to my younger self. Little did I know that leaving Fort St. John behind or leaving everyone behind in Fort St. John, as well as losing the girl at age 14, that my beliefs would flash freeze on the concept of loss. Of course, loss affects everyone differently. However, there are a few symptoms that we all share. On the physical level, the stress from loss can cause a loss of appetite, headaches, and occasional crying spell, to just, uh, just to name a few. On the mental side, where the majority of the real damage is done, not only does it attack our self-worth, but also our self-esteem, self-confidence, and lastly, our self-motivation. Generally speaking, it destroys our will. And without will, what's the point of doing anything, right? Add to that the idea of depression, um, add to the idea of Add to the idea that, um, hmm, this is not written properly. Add to that, oh, add to that the idea of depression pressing down on our emotions of joy and sadness, and it should slowly paint the picture of how devastating depression can be.
Thus, by age 15, with joy and sadness already destroyed by depression, I had also lost a lot of my identity, including my self-worth, esteem, confidence, and motivation. This, of course, didn't happen overnight. It was the culmination of numerous events from the span of 10 years, from having com compromising photos taken of me, to leaving Fort St. John, to having a feminist teacher belittling me in front of my classmates, as well as my parents divorcing, and the girl leaving. Therefore, by the time I turned 15, I was almost lost, I was already lost, spending most of my time pretending to be someone else, the chameleon, instead of being my true authentic self, the I am. And while I had some amazing moments in life, most of my memories have come out of fear, anger, and, and indifference. And because my heart lacked any semblance of joy and sadness, my empathy slowly faded away as well, causing a lot of unnecessary strain on my relationships, including those with friends, family members, and significant others, including the relationship I had with my first ever girlfriend, who I dated from age 14 to 17. I mean, I think it was 15, 15, 16, and 17, yeah, three years, um, right after the girl left, of course, and while my ex immediately moved on to dating someone else, I stayed single, trying to piece together what was wrong with me, if anything. Understanding loss. Loss is a peculiar thing that affects us all, and while it's mild for some, it's, total, it, it's a total bitch for others. Simply put, not enough people have the tools to deal with it. Worse, as time passes, it can often lead to feelings of loneliness and or depression, partly because those suffering from it don't think anyone actually cares or understands how they feel. The sad part is, they may be right. There will always be a fraction of people on our planet who just don't care. And why should they, considering that they have their own issues to deal with? However, there are also those who want to help but don't know how. They have the empathy but not the skill set. Or perhaps they have both but don't have the strength to do it, as it takes a lot of effort to help people overcome loss, not to mention depression, anxiety, or any other mental illness. This is because when it comes to the world within, some just don't have the stamina. As for those that do and can help, it's difficult for them as well as by the it's difficult for them as well as by the time someone is in need of support, it's too late and they've already gone silent. This, generally speaking, is because depression has already eaten sadness and thus eaten a voice that reaches out for support. This unfortunately was the case for me. Around the same time the girl vanished, my family became a mess. And while I've grown up privileged, it doesn't mean I can't succumb to mental trauma or CTSD. A year prior to meeting the girl, my parents split up. Of course, they did their best to stay together for the kids. However, neither were able to sustain the love necessary to keep our family together. So. A couple years after leaving everything I'd ever known, my parents separated and my family divided. My family, my dad moved out, my mom focused on raising her kids and her career, 
My sister had her own life, and I had mine. This is how we dealt with the divorce, by being silent and keeping to our pain to ourselves. So I didn't really have an outlet for my grief, at least not when it came to family. School was worse, just a bunch of kids playing out a more civilized version of Lord of the Flies, while teachers sat there and supervised. I also, have, I also didn't have anything to believe in. By then, I had left church behind, as well as any affinity towards a god or um, of any religion. I was lost in a sea of other lost people with no exit or direction in sight. So I held it in, pretended to be strong, and kept my issues to myself. Of course, um, by the time I hit adulthood, my depression had already eaten joy and my sadness was next in line. And because I didn't have the proper tools to deal with it, I let sadness disappear, leaving me numb with fear and apathetic to the world around me. I lacked purpose. My thoughts and judgments were cloudy. I didn't have, um, I didn't care, um, if this was life, then maybe I was better off dead. And while I wanted to die, I never had the strength to go through with it. In fact, I never even made an attempt. Instead, I just laid in bed asking whatever was beyond the universe to free me from this planet so that I never had to feel the pain I felt within. So that I never had to feel pain. Or feel So that I never had to feel again. Period. And it would be this mentality that I'd live with for the next two decades, that is, until the girl returned. History repeats. In August of 2012, I received a Facebook friend request, Facebook friend re request from the girl. Once the initial shock wore off, we spent the next few days messaging back and forth, catching up on life, including the fact that she was heading overseas for work. She then jokingly said, message you in another 20 years, and that was that. And while her intention was to joke, it hit a little too close to home. I thought I had come to terms with her leaving. Of course, lessons are never that straightforward and rarely learned by simply burying them deep within. Actually, lessons are only learned when they are tested, and therefore, my t final test with the girl was still to come. Enter Christmas 2013. On December 21st, 2013, I received a phone call from my sister. She informed me that the girl was in town and wanted to get in touch. At the time, I was off Facebook, and because it was our only mode of communication, she couldn't contact me. So she went through my sister. After getting the girl's contact info and a few messages back and forth, we set up a coffee date for the next day. And while our reunion was too short for my liking, I did get to see her twice, split between two days. And then, like that, she was gone. After a quick email in, 2000, uh, in February of 2014 from her, she was gone forever. Of course, that's not where the story ends. She'd return that December 2014 and stay for roughly six months. Excited, I waited for a text, an email, a Facebook message, nothing. So I emailed her. No response. However, she was nice enough to respond back to my sister and then hang out with her a few times before leaving. 
And while they were having fun, I was hurt. I was pissed. I hated my sister, I hated the girl, and I hated life. Fuck everyone, and fuck everything. Because what's the point, right? And I'm sure some of you have been there before, betrayed not only by family, but by someone who claimed to be your friend. Wait. Um, then something clicked. I had clarity. What did I know about this girl? The one I connected with when I was 14. The one who left only to return 20 years later. And then it hit me. If I'd grown up, so had she. And with that, I understood something. That she wasn't the same girl that vanished when I was 14. She was a complete stranger. It was this realization that helped me move on. To leave her in the past and move forward. The solution. Let's be honest. Being in pain sucks. It hurts both mentally and physically. Thankfully, as this new realization sunk in, a new method of how to deal with my pain, my triggers, and, my st and the stories I've created about myself came through. It was simple. Go within and garden. Dig into my life, into the actions that, that have transpired and the stories I've created over the last 30 years and create a new association without anything holding me back. For example, the day the girl left, I created a story in which I wasn't worthy of people staying. That the closer I got to them, the more I'd push them away. So from that day forward, I allowed my 14-year-old self to control my sense of loss and dictate my feelings towards relationships. Instead of getting closer to people, I'd push them away, because it's easier to leave than be left. And so I went within, dug through my roots, and found everything associated with my sense of loss. From there, I found the deepest root possible and created a new association for it, one that would eventually replace the original story, allowing me to break the cycle of sabotaging relationships and hurting people. Of course, nothing changed overnight, however, Releasing all of that stored up energy and pain felt absolutely amazing, something I highly recommend. Furthermore, this method allowed me to release any remaining infatuation I had for the girl. It was time to move on. And while the woman I met in December 2013 was amazing, she wasn't who I remembered. She was a stranger. And that's okay, because people grow up, and people grow apart, and people leave. And it's all part of being human. And that's really the end of the example. No Hollywood happy ending, just the reality of it. She had moved on, and eventually, I moved on as well. This time, being ready for the next stage of my life and new relationships. Note, for a more detailed process of this method, please check out Appendix A, the Root Association Method, in the back of the book. Just like on a quick update, this is something that I'm still dealing with and struggling with today. I'm still working through my issues with relationships, with loss, and all of those things. So it's not as if they 
ever truly go away away but we can work with them fine-tune them and help them um, so that they work with us and not against us so um, and and honestly you know what would be really nice is when she came back I my my entire being like lit up because and, and I don't even know why I, I mean my I have two theories one because it brought me back to a time when I felt that for the last time and two she actually brought back my heart which is what was calling out for me so once my heart came back there was no need really for her and I could let her go she played a valuable role in my life but one that I don't necessarily need to keep holding on to the most difficult part was letting go of the belief that I wasn't that that I'm not worthy of certain things because of the examples that I have in my life and that is a combination of both emotions and beliefs and until we decide to actually work through those we stay stuck in them and they will fucking destroy us and tear us apart until we do that and I'm talking about not on not just on the external way but internally as well right so it's important it's the the quote at the beginning about emotions being the little captains of our lives is legit we just don't understand how they guide our ship i.e. our body our mind and everything else but I will say this I've been doing a lot better since then um, and I've taken an opportunity to truly heal myself and because I've taken that opportunity I feel like even though it scares the crap out of me I am every single day getting closer and closer to allowing myself to be in love not only with just a companion but with everybody else in my life and not worrying about whether or not they'll leave but just concerning myself with um, and, and really just focusing my attention on being with them with that said let's continue with the book letting go the last stage of the method was to thank my 14 year old self for the memories for the protection and to let go of the pain and once I figured out how to use the method properly I dug through everything else both positive and negative looking for anything that was no longer serving me I created new associations one with, for my body image one to be more spontaneous and one to put myself out there at least more often just to name a few in the span of a week I had gone from absolutely crushed to creating a secondary Twitter account titled at we are existence with a purpose of sharing my thoughts on spirituality metaphysics philosophy and much more it is now my only account one that I use with pride and one that's allowed me to release a crazy amount of content without it um, or sorry a crazy amount of content without it being perfect in fact I compiled my first nine months of tweets into a book called Spiritosophy and plan to release many additional volumes 
of said series in the future. So if you enjoyed this book, I highly recommend reading them. In the end, this method helped me connect to my authentic self. The one I locked away years ago because I'd given up on life. And because it was locked away, the ego had no choice but to step in and protect me. Of course, upon using this method, I was able to regain control of my life as well as learn something new and important about the ego. I learned that it was trainable, that it doesn't have to be the savage we've made it out to be. And while it still represents our more animalistic side, it can be civil, it can be domesticated, it can be an ally, not necessarily an enemy. Unfortunately, it is not a quick fix. Like anything in life, it takes time and effort to complete. And in this case, it also depends on how much you value your life and how much you love yourself. Because if you don't have either, the training will fail. Because who wants to follow someone who doesn't believe in themselves? Who constantly puts themselves last because that's where they believe they belong? Nobody. And nobody is going to help you take control of your life. You have to do it yourself. And you can. Thus, if you're, already, if, if you're ready to love yourself and you're tired of allowing your past to control your present, therefore dictating your future, maybe it's time you skipped to Appendix A and made yourself familiar with the root association method. And if you feel like it, or feel like trying it, awesome. If not, no hard feelings, it's not as easy as it looks. However, for anyone that does attempt this method and is unsuccessful, don't give up. Message me. My contact information is at the back of this book. The message me and we'll get to get uh, sorry message me and we'll get through it together in the end however it's up to you this is your life nobody's going to live it for you want the best out of it it's up to you good luck and there's a there's a star notation by um, together it says this is a promise made in the jest of time if I have the time, I will gladly help. If not, I will connect you with someone I trust who will guide you through the method. Thank you. To feel or not to feel. Depression aside, emotions play a big role on our, in our mental development, as well as in our day-to-day -day activities. They are always there, waiting to react, be it in a positive or negative manner. And unlike beliefs, which are a manifestation of thought charged with emotion. Emotions are organic to our operating system, meaning that everyone with the same stock of emotions, or it comes with the same stock of emotions. And while the same emotions may come pre-installed, i.e. the core five, i.e. the core seven, I believe now, like I, I include, so the core five would be anger, which I would retitle as survival. Um, joy, indifference and disgust, which I would label as peace, sadness, and fear, I would also include in anxiety or excitement and depression uh, or slash happiness. And those would be the core seven, as well as all in between 
but that doesn't mean they operate equally upon activation. So as and while the same emotions may come pre-installed, i.e. the core 5 or the core 7, as well as all in between, that doesn't mean they operate equally upon activation. You see, we all have one core emotion that runs as default. This, of course, changes over the years, meaning that we may start out as joyful. However, as we experience life, our default may shift to sadness or any of our core emotions. These differences can also depend on our frequency of use simply because the more we use a certain emotion, regardless uh, if the intention is fake or authentic, the more powerful said emotion becomes. This unfortunately is what causes our emotions to grow out of balance as one emotion dominates our experiences more than others. This is why some people act out of joy while others act out of anger, sadness, fear, or indifference, even though they're experiencing the same event. For me, especially after writing this chapter, I found it best to stay in, freq in a frequency of indifference as it allows me to stay balanced as well as view the world from numerous perspectives. Of course, to resonate out of any emotion is a choice. For me, it all comes down to balance. Also, by staying in a frequency of indifference, more specifically bliss, I'm able to release small bursts of anger, joy, sadness, and fear, then quickly return to my zero point, balance. To me, it's about training the ego, sorry, to me it's about training the ego, which in turn allows me to, sorry, losing focus. Um, to me, it's about training the ego, which in turn allows me greater control over my emotions and will eventually allow me to master them. Not to restrict them, but to harness them and use them on purpose, not reaction. Also, something to keep in mind when it comes to controlling emotion is that not everything in the universe experiences emotion the same way. Furthermore, if emotion is actually connected with color, then perhaps the more colors one sees, the more emotion one experiences. And thus, while there are some in the universe that sees an array of colors greater than ours, there are also those that simply see things in black and white and feel the emotions of joy and fear, light and darkness. Of course, neither side is greater than the other. One simply offers a more in-depth look at emotion. This can also sometimes, unfortunately, operate as both a gift and a curse as color often brings waves of emotion within the body ones that can ones that can submerge us if we aren't equipped to ride them and while some people navigate life flawlessly there are others who never quite grasp the programming of emotions and thus rarely recover from a crash this sadly can lead to the choice of early dismissal from our planet which then places said being on the wheel of karma. Tiny silver cords. Furthermore, while we may think lightly of our emotions, they are nothing to joke about. Along with our brains and our hearts, 
which operate our lungs and pump our blood, our emotions can also run our lives, especially if we don't control them. And while there are numerous ways to do so, the easiest way is to attach through our thoughts, such as objects, people, places, or things, or time, past, present, or future, and with each attachment, tiny silver cords are left behind. It is these cords that create a bond between our emotion and our thoughts. Thus, the more we think and analyze, the more cords we create and attach. This unfortunately only makes said attachment stronger. And while the root association method works, well, oh, sorry, and while the root association method works wonders on releasing most cords, sometimes the only option is to rip them out at the source. This unfortunately can be severely traumatic as removing silver cords can be extremely painful. Perhaps this is why we avoid throwing things away or breaking up with people or going into our past and dealing with our issues, simply because we have too many silver cords attached. Thus, instead of cutting the cords, we allow set attachments to run our lives, often triggering us when we try to deal with them. Little emotion, sorry, a little charge of emotion. However, once we take control of our emotions, our real education begins. Of course, this isn't taught in the same formal or same format as formal education. Generally speaking, it follows a more objective and abstract way of thinking. Thus, instead of drawing lines in the sand, emotions act on relativity. Meaning that while a being can view something as being bad, Another can view it as being good. To me, this is similar to saying one man's trash is another man's treasure. Except instead of trash, it's joy, and instead of treasure, it's fear. Or vice versa. I probably could have written that the other way, except for instead of trash, it's fear, and instead of treasure, it's joy. You see, emotions are tricky creatures. They don't see good or bad, right or wrong. They only see opportunity. If anything, they offer us choices or perhaps a greater sense of free will. Therefore, just because something makes us feel sad, like the taste of cream cheese, doesn't mean it's actually bad, though it is unhealthy. In fact, for some, it sends them into a state of ecstasy, especially when served as cheesecake. Generally speaking, this is how emotions work. And while we all share the same emotions, we definitely don't feel the same, feel them the same way. Meaning, how I feel about the world around me is completely different yet just as valid as how you feel about the world around you. For the most part, this is one of the main purposes of emotions, as they allow each individual an alternate way of learning lessons. In turn, affording them their own unique experience of existence. And while we may be having our own unique experiences of existence, it doesn't negate the idea that the majority of our experiences on Earth are charged with emotion, including some of our thoughts, which then turn into beliefs. Unfortunately, most of these beliefs have already gone stagnant, i.e. toxic, like 
the belief that touch, taste, smell, sight, and sound are the only senses worthy of measuring our reality. And while we've proven that these senses exist, who's to say that others don't exist as well? And who's to say that these senses aren't attached to our emotions? Senses such as intuition, speaking with the deceased or the beyond, and telepathy, just to name a few. And while some see no danger in following the former, said belief actually hinders us from discovering and developing new ideas, thoughts, and concepts that could lead humankind towards another evolution, this time of the mind, considering that we've already experienced one of the body turning from monkey into man. Right, science? In the end, emotions play a massive role in our existence considering that they are connected to the body, the vessel, and that allows us to experience earth in the finest place. Thus, to rid ourselves of emotion would mean to rid ourselves of the body, therefore ending our experience on this beautiful planet. Instead, I think it's best if we learn to live with them, train them, and then one day work with them. Perhaps then we'd have a civilization of properly functioning humans, ones that aren't triggered when something offends them. Until then, let's move on to the last chapter of the book titled Choices, where I explain how almost everything in life is predicated on the choices we make. Enjoy. And, you know, in all honesty, I may change this title or the title for chapter four to It's All a Choice. Because, as you'll find out in that chapter, it is. And the good news is, is that that concludes this episode of Reading Out Loud with X. This has been chapter three. I feel therefore I am, i.e. sentio ergo sum. I thank you for your time and truly appreciate the fact that you actually listen to this. And that's really about it. Peace.